Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 219. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore on Twitter, filling in for my normal co-host, John White, at VJourneyman. We are a couple of pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. We're back with part two of Jason Langer's story. If you missed part one in episode 218, it's worth going back to listen. Jason told us about his early career in phone support and how this taught some very valuable communication skills that he continues to hone today. He spent a lot of time gaining experience, learning everything he could, branching out in his knowledge of the technical landscape. He survived a layoff. He told us about a move into an architecture-focused role and what that was all about. And we learned about life at a value-added reseller, which is a possible next step for a lot of people out there to level up. He managed a practice focused on end-user computing at the reseller and told us what that was like. He managed business relationships with technology partners, and he managed a team of solution engineers. Some of these opportunities came his way through connections. Some of these opportunities he asked for. There's a theme of asking for opportunities that started last week, and it's going to continue this week. So let's get to part two. If you were a first-time manager, how would you determine what the guiding principles for management of a team should be? And looking back on it, how would Jason rate himself in being a manager? In fact, he managed at multiple companies. One of the times, he was asked to do it by his boss. If your boss asked you to come and manage a team, would you say yes or would you say no? We're into Act 3 of Jason's career, and this entails a move over to marketing. Is that the dark side, based on where he had been before? And is product marketing less technical? Do you even have to be technical? What in the world is product marketing? Near the end of this episode, we'll hear how Jason made a choice to take a short break from working for a while, and how this helped him bounce back. You'll also get to hear the story of how I sold him on being a guest for this interview. Here we go with part two of our discussion with Jason Langer. In this role where you manage the solution engineers, systems engineers, you were managing the partner relationships at the same time? Oh, man. Any thoughts on lessons learned as a people leader? And did you want to manage people? So I've managed people a few times in my career. It's something that I've never aspired to. You know, it's not like I'm like, hey, I want to be, a, you know, some people are like, I want to be a manager. I want to be a director. And I'm going to climb that ladder. It's not something I've ever felt like compelled to do. The times that I have ha I have managed folks it was kind of quasi to asked. So on the 
the SE job here as the as the director of engineering or whatever the title was. Like that was kind of a mixture of an ask as well as like it was asked of me and I kind of asked for it because I was just pushing for all the things that you talked about, like how how was the project turnover, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because I spent all that time trying to build the quote unquote practice. Now instead of just focusing singular on EUC, I was just focusing on anything that landed in the data center from a systems again, what we refer to as a systems director. So all that stuff that we tried to do that we did on the EUC side, we try to reproduce and create that same kind of document if it was just a, a server virtualization project or, you know, whatever, right? Like a project of business BCDR, SRM project or whatever, right? So it kind of, that one was kind of a meeting in the middle where it's like, yeah, I want to do that. And they're like, hey, we think you should do this. And it just makes sense. The other time in my career, I, I was just kind of asked and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. You want me to do it? I'll do it. So I'm happy to do it. I enjoy it, but it's... It's not something that I feel like I have to, because right now I am an individual computer in my current role, which is totally fine. It's great. Which was funny is when I was interviewing, because everyone's like, oh, you're a manager. Do you, you know this is an individual computer? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Which, you know, for some people that, that doesn't compute, you know, when you're talking to the recruiters or whatever, they're like, oh, wait, but you manage people you don't want to manage? But it's like, no, it's like, and it's not a re, like, because then I was like, it's not, this isn't a red flag. <laughs> you know, it's like, don't not call me back because I said that. Like, I, you know. Okay. Um, <laughs> the look on your face. So many questions. So many questions. All right. Let's talk about real quick what it what you feel it takes to be good at managing people when you do it. You know, if you're going to agree to do it, what do you feel like it takes for someone out there who's thinking about doing it to be really good at it? And yeah, start with that. Wow. So first off, you're assuming that I thought I was good at it. <laughs> Well, since you've done it, I imagine you you have some idea of what good looks like. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think I did okay. I'll give you some names of folks, and maybe you could like do a little follow up <laughs> questionnaire with them. The only thing I could say is I-, I did reach out to my own mentors, right, to people that I trusted and looked up to, and you know, I've mentioned one already, but there's several other, and I'm like, hey, I'm gonna manage people. Give me some books to read, or give me, you know, like I was using my network to be like, help me, let me shortcut this a little bit because you've done this. So I did research that way. I read some books. But one thing that I just kind of remembered or kept thinking about is just think about what I wanted from my managers or what I didn't want from my managers as well. Right? Like there's what you want, what you don't want. I don't want a micromanager, but I don't want a manager that's not engaged. I want a manager that's going to support me. Right. I want a manager that's going to defend me, but also like let me know when I've done something wrong. So I thought about those things and I have, those were kind of my core systems that I would always try to bring when I manage people is like, I've always tried to be as open, as honest with them as I possibly could on things that I could share with them, right? Like there's been scenarios where it's like changes were coming at a company and like, are we going to, you know, what's the reorg, you know, like those types of kind of things, right? It's like, Hey, I can, this is what I can share. Give them, give them the straight answers the best you can, not tap dads around it. I never try to micromanage folks. I'm very much like, here's a task or here's something we want done. Here's the date. I don't care how you get there. Meaning if you got to take your kids to soccer practice twice a week in the middle of the day or at three o'clock in the afternoon or whatever, I get it. Life happens, right? And especially managing a team during the pandemic. Whoa, that was tough. That was mentally tough. But you understand all these things. You have empathy, but it's like, but I also would tell people like, but I still assume you're going to get that thing done by Friday. So if you got to work till 10 p.m. on a Thursday night, meaning I'm I don't I'm not assuming you're always in seat eight to five, right? I don't want to manage that. I just want to be like, 
here's a task. If you have questions, I'm happy to help. I'm happy to review slides. I'm happy to whatever. But it's like, I'm here, but like, I'm not going to dictate how you should get this work done, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You might give success criteria, right? Here's what it look, yeah. should look like, or here's what yeah. I'm looking for. And that didn't always work for everybody. Some people, you needed the the midweek check-in, right? Because that's, you know, you know, you know, there's folks that might need a little extra assistance, right? So, but I, I always made myself available for that. Always did one-on-ones. My goal was always doing once every two weeks. If somebody wanted them more frequently, I'm like, great. But not only do the one-on-ones, the one thing I always hated, <laughs> to this day, I still do, hopefully my boss doesn't listen to this, is when bosses have one-on-ones and then they're constantly canceling them or moving them because I'm like, dude, like this, or this is the one time every two weeks we're supposed to meet and you know when it's going to be like. So it always made me feel like I'm not a priority or I'm not important or that always kind of stuck in my craw. Maybe important is not the right word, but it's like, hey, you know, this is coming every Friday, every other Friday at 11 o'clock. You know what I mean? So when I was in that situation, I, I'm sure I had to cancel a few. Hopefully the guys could chime in, but like, or the folks I've managed, I never tried to cancel them. I always kept them when we said we we're going to do them, the frequency we we're going to do them. And I always made sure that it was the time for the person. Like, talk to me about whatever you want to talk about. Like, we can talk about work stuff. We can talk about personal stuff. You can tell me, meaning like, I'm not looking for a status report or whatever. I'm having, you know, like I'm keeping track of other ways with other tools, but like, let's have a conversation. If you just want to tell me what your plans are for that weekend, let's do that. It's just more about like making, it's their time. It's not my time to dictate the conversation to them. I want them to come to me with like, and we can talk about, again, it could be what a career stuff, like whatever, because we have our team meeting. You know, I'm a big fan of the team meetings too, right? Like I keep those on the calendar. And like that's my, my one to many platform of like, these are the things we're doing. This is what we're doing. The one-on-one is like, okay, what do you want from me? What do you need from me? What rocks can I move? How can I help you? I'll provide feedback, obviously, but it's, it's, it's meant more for the employee, not for the manager. I felt like I spent a lot of time on that, but hopefully that all makes sense. That was fantastic. Thank you very much. Okay. I, I like what you said there. I, I feel like in the one-on-ones, certainly the manager can come with a couple of things that they need to address, Yeah, but sure. more time for the employee to go through their list, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, don't suck the air out of the room as a manager. <laughs> you, know, I mean, you have enough opportunities to usually do that. I mean, I imagine there are probably times where you have to because cause something's burning down the house, but more often than not. Yeah. If you're having to deal with somebody that's not getting their work done, or if it's, you know, my experience has been few and far between. Maybe, and that's also why I think the manager jobs I've had has been pretty, like, I've always had really good teams. I've always really liked my teams. And hopefully they've liked me, right? But they've always been really good. We always have a lot of fun. I always try to have a lot of fun and, you know, dress up on Halloween and wear funny hats. And, you know, like, just, you don't have to be, you know, I have to be president business, like, all the time. I feel like you can still f- have fun and joke around with folks, but still have some sort of like, the buck does stop with me, you know, idea of like, I'm still telling you, you need to get this done. Sure. Sure. But yeah, I mean, if you've got to do that type of stuff, of course, but more than often I want, what do you want? Where do you want to do? What kind of stuff? Like, let's talk about training or whatever. Let me ask this. Do you feel like maybe it was easier to slide into management or people management specifically because you had that interest in the business side and not as much of an interest in getting down to the check boxes, speeds and feeds? Because my theory is, and I've talked to other people about this, when you've become very technical, it can be challenging to become what is perceived as a little bit less technical by making that move. 
maybe probably like maybe I just didn't do it consciously. I go back to like I like writing documentation. I like which like 14 year old me would be like, what are you talking about? Like documentation and like structure. And, you know, so I think that kind of at least on the working at the VAR that led to that because I could drive. I was driving that. So it just kind of made sense to be like, OK, we want to make sure these folks are you are doing this, these processes and stuff like let's slide them under Jason. Like, I'm not saying that's exactly how it happened, but it, I think it, I, when I look at it, I, I, yeah, that makes sense. Like I'm, I want to make sure everyone's filling out these TPS reports, you know, or whatever, and that type of stuff for sure. On the VAR side, when I became a manager at VMware, it was different. I think that's bad. Now that's, you know, a little bit of skipping it, but that's act what I call act three when I switched over to this marketing thing. And that was like, I had a great boss. She's fantastic. She's not my boss anymore, but I still talk, I talked to her today and her team really expanded. When I joined her team, there was five, then there was 15. No manager can have 15 direct reports or director, right? Like that's just- Yeah, that's crazy. So they're like, hey, Jason, her and the VP were like, what do you think about doing this? And I'm like, absolutely. You guys get, because they gave me an opportunity, which we'll touch on. I'm like, I felt like, yes, I'll do this. I'll do it for you, for Aishin, my boss. I'm like, I'll definitely do this for you. But I will say- I asked for things, meaning I'm like, if I do this, I need to know I'm going to get your support. You know, we're going to meet, you know, to like determine success. Like, is it going back to your thing about like asking for things? It's like, yeah, I need to know how I'm going to succeed at this. So I've never, you know, managing marketers is probably completely different than managing SEs. It's not really because it's still just people management. But I didn't know that (laughs) until until I got into it. But it's like, I want to make sure that I've got the support tools around me. Now, granted, they could have just said yes and not given them to me. And I would have been, you know, have been stuck. But fortunately, they didn't do that. And you had been doing an individual contributor job in marketing before this happened, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Tell us a little bit about that trans, like the reasons for going into marketing and not necessarily technical marketing either. Right. Because we've talked to a lot of people who went into technical marketing. Right. With our sphere of folks that we, you know, we hang out with and we talk to, right? For the SEs, we're the technical folks. When I tell people I'm in marketing, they assume they just kind of assume I mean technical marketing. And I've not a technical mark. Doesn't mean I'm not technical. That's the thing. It doesn't mean I'm not technical. I don't write technical marketing materials. People are probably like, oh, he's splitting hairs, but there is a difference. But yeah, so the VAR thing, just real quick, just to kind of paint that story. The VAR thing kind of played out. I was like, oh, this is great, this is great. But then I was like, you know. I've built my career, like the last eight years have been focused around VMware and the ecosystem, right? But VMware's at the middle, it's the, the hub and then the storage and the backups and the all the other things that plug into it were this, kind of the spokes. I'm like, I want to go work at the mothership. That, and that's where we meet. Yep. Through working at the GCSIT and going to the P-tabs, I developed a lot of good relationships with people within VMware. So P-tab stands for Partner Technical Advisory Board. And that's where VMware brings around, brings their top partners in and blah, blah, blah. And that's where I got to meet a lot of people. So then I use that network. Hey, I want to come to work at VMware. So I reach out to folks and lo and behold, a friend of mine was a vSAN SE that was moving roles. And he was like, hey, we should hire Langer to his boss. So I did the interview and I became a vSAN SE. Um, and I did that for about 18 months. And I'm just painting that picture to make feel like I just didn't jump. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no worries. So, so that's where you and I meet at New Hire Training which was awesome. So I do the vSAN SE thing and, you know, that's maybe a different conversation, but 
What I knew about VMware, though, was I wanted to work at the mothership, but I didn't want to stay in sales the whole time. But at that time, that was the easiest path to get into the company and then try to get into a business unit. VMware's got different business units. It's always easier to go somewhere usually when you're inside. If you can't get the optimal role, you get in and then you move around. As I got more into it, and what's funny, we were talking about this before, Nick, before we started recording is, I truly believe any good SE is a good marketer. You're grinning, but you, whether or not they want a minute, you know how to market yourself. You know how to market your products you're talking about. That's part of the gig. I just took it to the next part. So I was like, hey, I want to get into the BU. I think I could do this marketing stuff. I really, you know, I really enjoy, you know, working with messaging and positioning and personas of like, who buys software and like what's what what are the outcomes they're looking for because all that stuff is all stuff I was doing as an SE as at VMware as well as it, at the VAR is like you're you're always ultimately getting to a business outcome you're trying to help somebody get to a business outcome so I went to the VP of our business unit and a woman named Aishan who I referenced before and I went to them and I was like hey if you ever have an opening I'd be really interested and talking to you about what it would take to get into marketing, to a product marketing role. They were like, yeah, sure, great, whatever. And then a couple months go by and they they pinged me on, they had an, opp- an opportunity. So I met with them and talked to them and the product marketing role was, so this wasn't a huge bridge to cross, but it was directed around sales enablement for SRM and vSAN and this kind of the storage and availability products that VMware sold. So I was like, I had so much experience with those from a seller architect implementation that it kind of was, it it was an easy transition for a first marketing job. But going back to, again, those conversations, asking for stuff that you want. I I knew Lee well enough because when I was a SE, I would take him on customer visits when he was in town. So we got a relationship there. So there was a a comfort level of like, hey, I'm going to reach out to this guy when I see him and kind of take my shot, right? That was the step into kind of this act three of my career of like getting into marketing and kind of seeing what that world is like. And what are some of the measurements that someone in product marketing is measured on? You mentioned the the product positioning, messaging, how to talk about it, what kind of use case this is going to solve for, what kind of outcome you get, what kind of people would be looking to solve this problem or use this thing. What other teams are you working with besides the sales teams that you might be enabling? I wish we had a visual because, and one thing I'll say about product marketing is every company does it a little different. So I can give you kind of what I've seen at VMware and at Pure, which are pretty close, but they're not identical, right? And just like a lot of organizations different. But if I had a Venn diagram, when you've got product marketing, if done, in my opinion, somewhat correctly, because of what you're trying to accomplish, they're kind of in the middle with working with sales. You work with product management and you work with like different BUs or whatever, because if you're, if you're crossing portfolio boundaries or solution boundaries, right? And you're working with different PMM, like you're working with technical marketing as well, right? Like you talked about technical marketing, like, so you kind of get in the middle where you're, you're, you got to know where the messaging is coming from, from the, from the product marketing teams, the messenger position, you got to know from the product management teams, like what are the features and what's coming down the, you know, like the roadmap, these types of things. Then you got to put that stuff together and then you work with sales to come up with enablement plans. What, what does that mean? Is it recordings? Is it tests? Is it 
webinars, is it, you know, whatever different avenues to get content out. So you're kind of in the, again, back to the mini masters, you're kind of in the middle and you get to work with all these different teams, which is great because you're getting different pieces. Again, I, I like to build things, right? So it's like, yeah, I'm going to go talk to product, understand what, what, what the market is driving and what they're looking for and what the feature set is. And then work with P- the product marketing where we'll come up with the messaging and the positioning and all that kind of stuff, right? And the pretty slides. Don't forget the pretty slides. You know, I make a lot of slides, <laughs> which again, I like making diagrams. It's like, so I smile when I see my slides and decks and I'm like, oh, I made that slide. <laughs> you know, like it's those small wins. There you go. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, they somebody liked my slide enough that they put it in their deck. That's great. Um, so that's kind of like, where product marketing fits in, you kind of have like this interaction with a lot of different groups, which I, which again, for me, I really enjoy. Like you kind of feel like how the different layers of the cake are being made. Are you also doing outbound marketing too, as in making sure blogs are being written about this upcoming release and that we're covering the features or doing a webinar of what's new in product XYZ or what's coming? So marketing is like the, to me, it's like the word cloud. It's can mean almost anything. It's like Smurfin, you know, like if you're old enough, you know, if you remember the Smurfs, everything, the word Smurfin was like their fill in forever because the marketing I did at VMware was all internal marketing, meaning my content, my assets, or the stuff that my team put together, like the stuff that we did was all internal consumption, right? So it was VMware sellers or VMware SEs or whatever, right? But you definitely have product marketing teams that do the outbound marketing, right? What you're talking about, like they create the blog posts or they do the webinars or they do the conference circuit or whatever, right? So it depends on how the organization, and that's what's, again, from my career, it's so fast, like it's, it doesn't necessarily mean one anything depending on who you talk to or where you're at. It's just how they implement it, right? Where like VMware's tech marketing folks, they do both internal training, right? But they also do a lot of the external stuff. Um, my role at Pure is a solutions marketer, still marketing, but I'm focused on solutions and being VMware with Pure Storage. But I do outbound marketing, like so I do webinars and I do blog posts and I do I create the content for the infographic. Somebody makes them look pretty, you know. <laughs> like I don't make the infographic, but I put top ten reasons for whatever. But I also here, I also some of my content is done used for internal enablement. Because at Pure, and rightfully so, like they're not here to be VMware experts. They're here to be Pure experts, right? Now, granted, knowing VMware and these other things is always super helpful, right? But that's not their main discipline. Right, because that's not who writes the checks. Right. So hopefully that comes out right if anybody at Pure listens to that. But it's like, so I'm here to like help like understand, you know, like, oh, this is how you would use SRM with our solutions, both from an outcomes as well as some technical stuff. Like I said, marketing can mean cloud, depending on what or how organizations treat different marketing stuff. Because even at VMware or whatever, you you could have like true outbound marketing where they're, they're the people that are creating the website content or that type of stuff, right? Because that all comes that still comes from a marketing team, right? Or if they're doing campaigns, meaning like if they're trying to come up with a sales campaign, right? So they're creating the three different types of emails that go to these people in our CRM to be like, okay, if this person is a, a decision maker, we've created this email template. If they're a, a practitioner, they get this, like all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of levers to pull uh, in that regard. So we're going to put these 
webinars and mention them in this newsletter that goes out every so often. Yeah, yeah. And that's one thing I want folks to take away on this, that listen to this, especially the, the more technical folks, right? You know, because one thing I guess like, oh, you're in marketing, you're not technical. And I'm like, well, no, I'm still technical. I just don't have to do that practitioner level of technical anymore. I still have to know what how the solutions work. I still need to know the problems that it's solving, kind of like an architect would, which would be viewed as technical. But now I've got to communicate it in a different way. But there are, I mean, obviously there is true marketing that is not technical, but like just because you go into marketing doesn't mean you have to be like, oh, I'm giving up my technical hat and now I'm putting on the, all I care about are website impressions and Twitter statistics and that type of stuff. That's a great point. So if I'm someone that is a practitioner who's quite technical, and this sounds really interesting to me, and I go and apply for it, what kinds of things would I need to communicate to the hiring personnel so that they understand, number one, I'm interested, I want to do this, and that I can do this? Or maybe there's a step in between somewhere. How is it looked upon, you think, when somebody who is a practitioner might apply for a product marketing, can they slide into it as a possibility? Is it low odds or is it like, well, you need to do this step in between probably. And this is my opinion, obviously. Like it's not sure, <laughs> sure. Of fact, but I feel like you would have already somewhat made steps in that direction, even though you didn't realize it. And what I mean by that is early on when I, you know, when I got into really getting into VMware stuff and like getting all those certs, like started a blog. So I started writing blog posts. Guess what marketing people do? They write blog posts. Now, granted, mine were still very, mostly it was like how to do something. It was still technical. It wasn't like, hey, you know, we help you save 30% of whatever. But, but I was doing, I was already kind of making those steps in certain ways to kind of say, you know, yeah, my job says I do this. Here's my side hustle for lack of a better word. Like maybe, I don't know, hosting a podcast. Maybe. So I think of those kind of side things, because I'm thinking of like, if you applied for a job and they're like, hey, you must have four years of marketing experience, but you've been a systems engineer or whatever the, you know, the title is. I don't know if that resume is even going to get filtered out or make it into a hiring manager's desk because they're just going to see those things. That's a, that's a hard question. What I would, the only answer I can give like in that regard is if you, you do this stuff on the side and it's something you're interested, then you start, you have to start making those connections with people. Honestly, I think that's the only reason why I went, got, got into this route is I did some blogging, not holding podcasts, but I've been on a podcast and been on stage at VMworld and that type of stuff to kind of show like I'm outbound, I guess I'm more, you know, you're, you're uh, outbound personality. I, maybe that's the wrong word. I don't know, but you're, you're not just focusing on like, Hey, I know how to tweak certain things. Right. It's proof of work that's referenceable to a hiring manager that shows you know how to communicate something in a set amount of time based on a specific topic. Yeah. Perf yeah. You, you said it way better than I did. Well, and <laughs> if you think about it, I mean, this is just me spitballing, right? If I'm submitting a session to a conference, the abstract is my marketing attempt. Yeah. Like I'm marketing yeah, that to the people who have to pick from what gets selected. Not only the abstract, but the title. You can't just say best way to do whatever. You, you gotta, you know, you've gotta come up with certain like buzzwords. You gotta make it, it needs sexy. to be five best ways to do something. Right. 
one of the sessions I submitted for a VMware thing was called Any Which Way with Tanzu, which is a play on an old Clint Eastwood movie called Any Which Way But Loose, right? Like, but just nice. kind of come up with, sometimes we take ourselves too seriously, but it's like, market yourself that way. Because I do know, I know folks who have gone into marketing from the SE, normal, what I would say it's more, more gone into the technical marketing role. And I feel like that's an easier bridge to, I shouldn't say easier, but like that's, that makes more sense because then to your point, if you're a systems administrator or engineer working at Nick Incorporated, you can submit sessions to user groups, whether it be VMware or Cisco's or who app, like product or AWS or like, you know, yeah, Microsoft, like all they're the always things. looking for presenters and content. So you start doing that. People start recognizing you. You can pre- send abstracts to different conferences, right? And that gets a little harder to get into, but you can still do it because then you've, but you start building that thing up. You're doing that legwork. You're doing that homework. You're doing that extra side, side work to show that that's something where you want to go. Because if you want to go there, you're going to probably do that anyways. You don't probably just wake up and be like, hey, I want to be in technical marketing, but I've never wrote a blog post. I've never wrote an architecture document or any, yeah, or any sense of like technical writing. That's kind of like a lot of the guys that I know personally that have gone into the technical marketing was that thing. Like they were, they ran VMUGs. So they're getting on stage and they're presenting and they're talking to audiences and then they're writing blog posts and then they're doing presentations for vendors at their, you know, their conferences or whatever, because like all of a sudden, like they're a known name in the community. You know, there's two of that I can think of right now, right? If I'm at that, that's kind of how they got to where they were at. So it's definitely possible. You just, just like anything else, there's extra work that's got to get put into it if that's where you want to go. That's good advice. I like that. And then for the the extra step might be technical marketing. Okay. Because they're going to get an element of marketing in that, that they probably mm-hmm. will have to learn, even though maybe they've been doing some, and then they could potentially slide over into more of a product marketing type role. I've got a buddy who was my Veeam SE. So he was like my, hey, I have a Veeam problem. Like, let's go to him. He was an SE at VMware. He came to work for me as a product marketing manager, right? But he was a deep product guy. Like he wanted to know what features were and what the roadmap was and why are we picking these things and those types of things. Well, guess who does that? A product manager does that. So what does he do now? He's a product manager at VMware. So now he's dictating something that he, you know, that he was passionate about from a technology perspective. He's dictating the roadmap and the feature set that's going to that product. There's good steps there, right? PMM, like he enjoyed it. But even when I hired him, I'm like, I knew he wasn't going to do it forever, right? Sure. I was like, you're probably going to do this for a couple of years. And I feel like you're going to go do something else. And that's what he did. Quite honestly, it's like when I used to hire SEs at the VAR. I'm like, if you're good at this job, I only expect you to be here for two years, maybe three. And the reason for that is the vendors are going to find out that you're good and they're going to come poach you. And I've lost, I lost plenty of guys to HPE. I lost guys to, uh, to Veeam. And that's great because you, they're growing and they're going on to the next thing, right? So sure, marketing doesn't necessarily, my role for me, like it doesn't have doesn't have to be the end once you get into a business you know a whole new world of things opens up that even being having technical chops accelerates your ability to quickly impact and deliver on different things within within a product group right and you have proven 
or a great example use case that people can slide between individual contributor, people manager, back and forth. You don't have to be siphoned off into one forever, just like you said. And for someone like yourself, who's a pretty technical guy, I imagine if you wanted to go back to technical marketing, you could probably make that transition pretty easily or even back to practitioner if you wanted. Yeah, because I still read the technical stuff. You know, it doesn't mean you have to turn off that part of your brain because it also still helps you, again, going back to like, depending on what you're doing technically, if you're within a customer, you know, if you work at Nick Incorporated, like I was talking about, and you're the systems administrator, like you can go become the enterprise architect. And that's all, but like, those are going to be new skills that you need to work on. Like you need to know how to write, you need how to create diagrams, you'd have to know how to communicate because you're, again, now you're selling to your own internal CFOs and CTOs of why you need to do something. There's a lot of options. Being in tech doesn't mean you have to be technical. My wife works at IT at Starbucks. And every time she says that, she's like, I'm not technical. I'm like, yeah, but you still, I mean, you're still in technology. So you don't have to be the speeds and feeds person. You don't have to be the, I know how to configure this person. You can do a lot of different things in technology and still be involved in technology and, and probably scratch a lot of the itches that you're looking for. And I think when we label someone as technical, it's like saying cloud in a lot of ways because it depends on what do you mean by technical. But that's a different podcast, different discussion. Yeah. <laughs> before right. before we get out of here, Jason, I, I have to ask this one because you made a move at some point to a smaller company and it looked like you did still kind of product marketing, but at some point you took a little bit of a break. And I've, yeah. I've heard about people doing this and I'd love to just dig into what made you want to take some time off and how did you approach that time off? On my four year anniversary, that was my last day at VMware. Um, and I went to go work for a smaller company that my manager, like, well, my ex-manager at VMware went to. One thing, I mean, I talk about relationships on this call. One thing, I'm a very loyal person. When I trust you and all that kind of like, so I had a lot of trust for her and she's like, Hey, I'm going to go build a new PMM team at this other company. I want, I'd like you to come with me and you're going to do a lot of, you know, I was going to do a lot of the same stuff I was already doing, but in a new, in tech, but in a new space, right? It wasn't virtualization. It was database market. Um, I'm like, yeah, that's great. I mean, I've, I spent last 18 years talking about servers and storage and so stuff. like, Hey, I've never really been a database person. So I, I, I went over there. And if you've been doing your career long enough, sometimes you zig when you should have zagged. And this was a scenario where I should have zagged. It didn't work out. Part of it was me. Part of it was them. And I, you know, this is something that I, I don't know for sure if you talk about it, but I can't imagine it. But then I, I was starting to feel a little burnt out. Yep. You know, which is something that everybody talks about. Pandemic, you know, working all the time or not working all the time, but, you know, I've, I've been working full-time since I was 20, then go to college, you know, and the world was a, it was a crazy play. I mean, still a crazy place. I mean, I was just like, man, this work, this is not working out. I'm not happy. And so I went to my wife, my wife is my entire career. Shannon has been super supportive. She's, she's never like when I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to do that. Like, she's always completely supported me. And we had a conversation. I was like, look, this isn't working out for me. I'm not very happy. I just need a break. I just need to collect, collect myself a little bit. And for, fortunately, she agreed. 
she wasn't super I thrilled about it. Don't get me wrong. Like she's like, well, you, you're not going to get paid. Uh, you're not going to have a job. So I, I, yeah, I took some time off. I took I took about three months off, and it was great. I made sure that I kind of took time to myself. I started going back to the gym again. I started like getting outside and like all the stuff you say you're going to do, but you don't when you're sitting in your office from 7.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. and you're too tired to want to go do any of that stuff. You just want to kind of hang out. And yeah, it was a blast. And I think my wife let me do it. My parents are both retired. They live 10 minutes away. So like I'd pick my mom and my dad up and we'd take little road trips for the day. And one thing I I swore I wouldn't do and I didn't do is like I wasn't going to sit and just like watch TV all day. Like I was going to make something of the time. And it, and it was perfect up here because I did it in summertime in Seattle, which means we only had two, mu- two months of sun. If I did it in the winter, that'd be a different story because then you'd just been stuck inside. It was it was really good. And it's it put me in the right mindset for when I came back into the workforce. Let me interrupt before you finish that thought, because what I want to know is, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do next when you started this break? My guess is no, but I really don't know. No, I knew what I didn't want to do, which was uh, stay employed at where I was at. No, I didn't. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what it meant. Again, this goes back to hopefully this doesn't sound wrong, but it was like when I was laid off, it's like I felt like I would find something when I needed to get back to work. And I'm open to, again, like if I was more set to the point of like, it's like I had to manage people, your options get a little bit narrower, right? But it's like, I have my mindset was like, I just want to go work somewhere where I've got a good culture, good people. I think the work's going to be enjoyable, um, but I'm not going to work myself to death. You know, had I been more defined of like, hey, I need to make sure the next role is a director title or those types of things, that's a little different, right? But Or you need to make $750,000 a year, right? Right. I mean, so there's... There's obviously some things we're not talking about that, you know, for some folks could come into play. But the only thing I did think is I did think I would probably end up back at VMware just because it's been so good to me through my career as a product, you know, as vSphere and all this stuff because I, you know, I built my career around it. But as well as I really enjoyed when I worked there. That didn't work out. And that's totally, totally fine. I've landed in a great spot. I got a great boss. And I'm not just saying that because I I really, he is a really good guy. Um, and there's a good culture and good people around me. So I've, I feel very fortunate that I was able to do that break and then land somewhere. That's a really good fit for me, hopefully for them too, but for me as well. You mentioned some things that you wanted, a good culture. You weren't going to work yourself to death, work that was interesting. It sounds like you either had thought about that before the break or maybe figured that out during the break to make sure and focus on before you started applying. Yeah, it goes back to what I knew about what I didn't want, I guess. Like I didn't, I knew what things were important to me and those things aren't important to me. And early on in my career, even a couple of years ago, like the technology was like top one or two spot because I was thinking like, oh, I'm gonna want, I want to go do this. I want to go learn this. I want to get better at it. I want to talk about it. I want to work on, you know what I mean? Like, and this time around, and this is no disrespect to where I work now or other companies that I was interviewing with, because it's still, they are all very good technologies, but that wasn't, that was like number five, because if, if it's the best technology that really turned your crank, but you're miserable at work, is it worth it? You know, like I'm going to say I'm miserable, but like where, where on that list does it need to fall to make sure you keep yourself satisfied and some other things, right? Yeah. Rank your priorities. Right. And my priorities were kind of, again, 
enjoy the people you work with. Not that I didn't enjoy the people. I mean, I worked with her, but just I don't want to be on the phone or on Zoom from 7.30 to 6 o'clock. You know, I want pieces of my my personal life back, I guess. Sure. Brendan Burchard talks about energy management and how you need to have some breaks throughout the day where you give yourself energy or put more things into your schedule that bring you energy to balance the things that take the energy away. So if being on two straight Zoom calls sucks the energy so low that you just can't re-energize yourself for the rest of the day, you're always going to have a lull. It's an interesting concept. It sounds like you figured out the same thing. I try to take, if I can, and it's the right audience, like I might take a conference call on a walk. If I don't have to present something or whatever, again, know your audience, know who what call you're doing this on. Don't do it with like a VP or whatever, but like getting out and just doing that stuff, getting out of these four walls that you and I can see in my office. It's like just, you know, the, the hipster staying of go touch some grass, get outside a little bit. That's yeah, it's huge. Get the fresh air, take deep breaths. That's smart. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. What was the trigger that helped you know it was time to go back to work? Because it sounded like you didn't really set a time bound for the break. When I talked to my wife about it, there wasn't, I mean, there was a first conversation was, you will go back to work. Like, yes, I will go back to work. <laughs> we didn't necessarily talk about a timeline. Like I wasn't saying like, I'm definitely going to take six months or I'm going to take eight months or I'm going to take a month or whatever it was, right? Quite honestly, what kind of took it to that three month point was people had sent me job postings at various companies that they thought I should take a look at. One of them being Pure and there was a couple other ones. And it felt like reading like this, the job that I ultimately ended up in here at Pure, reading the job description and having the interview with my boss. Like it was like, I couldn't have written a better thing. I'm like, yeah, dude, that sounds awesome. So I was doing some interviewing for jobs that sounded really uh, sounded really fun and interesting. But again, through my experience with working with these companies at the VAR, I knew enough about the culture and people that had worked there that I'm like, I know that this is a good place to go. At least I feel like it's a good place to go based off what I've heard. So that's kind of how it ended up being around the three-month mark. I actually, when I accepted the offer, I actually had to push it out. I was like, hey, do you mind if we stretch this out a couple of I'd like to take a full three months. You know, full three months again, and they were totally great with it. And they're like, "Yeah, sure." So that there wasn't a set time, and this just kind of fell out. Where like, "Hey, Jason, Pure Storage is looking for a VMware Solutions Marketing Manager. You should take a look at it." And I'm like, "Yeah, this sounds great." So that's kind of how that happened. Good advice. Any other tips for people on how you've changed the way you structure your schedule since you came back? Oh, now granted. Mileage may vary. Everyone's situations are a little different. The very first thing that I did was I actually set the boundaries. And what I mean by that is I blocked my calendar to not start any meetings before 8.30. Like it auto declines meetings if you send them to me before 8.30. And the reason for that is I try, I try, <laughs> I try to go to the gym every morning. It doesn't say it happens every morning, but I try to get up, you know, I'm usually at the door at seven. That's the I try intention. To go to the gym. Yeah. The intention, go work out for an hour or so, get home, hopefully shower so I can be camera ready. So I, I try to set the boundaries of like, because I, for me, knowing like I'm not going to go at lunch, people, the people can do that. Awesome. I can't do that. And I'm not going to go do that after work. Like, so I know my behaviors, right? Like if I know if I just get up and go and go do it, success rate is a lot higher. 
yeah, so I, that was the very first, like day one, I was like, boom, I put that on my calendar. And I communicated that to my team, by the way, the team that I'm on. Like, I wasn't a jerk about it. Like, oh, I don't start working until 8.30. They're like, hey, look, this is, I, I try to be, I'm at my desk at 8.30. I'm ready to go because I'm going to the gym. And everybody was my boss. Like, everyone's like, dude, that's awesome. Super supportive of it. And then just trying to make sure I, I end my day at 5.30, 6 o'clock. Now, granted, again, there's times where I, you, you, some, you just have to work late, right? Like, yep, I mean, it happens. We all know how it is. But I try to make sure that I follow that and to the other point of like touch grass. I'm 100% remote. I know people are just hearing this, but you can see me like if I'm in these, this is my office. I'm, I'm in these four walls for 12 hours or whatever. Right? Like, so I know it's like, hey, get outside, go do something, touch grass, take a lap around the neighborhood, whatever. Right. So I try to get those types of things because while I've been working from home for a long time, I've been remote, I don't know, almost 10 years now. So you kind of learn those, what do you got to do to make sure you just don't end up staring at the same four walls, you know, all day and start talking to yourself. You don't want that. Yeah. Talking to yourself sometimes is all right. It's when you start answering, it's, that's the problem. But yeah, just set the boundaries on the get-go if you can. Again, know, know your audience, know where you're at, know, know your management. And like when I take time off, like I turn off the email on the phone. You know, this is all stuff I'm sure people, everyone's heard this stuff, right? Get, try to disconnect. Don't check the work Slack. Don't check the work email. And I, but I'm more mindful of like, just like, hey, I, I'm off for f- four days. I'm off for four days. If you want me to be at 100% of what you want me to do when I'm here, I need this time to be disconnected. Amen to that. I'm with you. Well, it's good to re- rehash those things because even though people may have heard them, it doesn't mean they're doing them. So if you've never done right. this, you should do it. It's a conversation with your manager to like just try to set those expectations. Like I, I feel like I feel like most managers are good. Most bosses are good. I hope. You know, I've always I've had a I mean, I've had a couple not good ones. It's happened. But most of the time it's like, hey, this is kind of what I'm doing, this is what I'm thinking. I've never had any of them say no. But it's like, hey, I still know I still need to get this done or this done. It's again, it's just that it's that dialogue of like, tell them what your plan is. I think if you if you come with a plan or you understand what you're like a lot of those conversations on anything become a lot easier to t- at least show that you've at least thought it through a little bit. Yes, indeed. Well, Jason Langer, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show. Where can people find you if they want to follow up on these episodes? I mean, I guess nowadays the best way would, if you want to chastise me or ask me questions, would be off uh, Twitter at the Jason Langer because there's an actual other at Jason Langer. So I'm at the Jason Langer on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, if, if anybody found anything on this interesting or they want to hear more about a, a journey or a talk track, I mean, hit me up. I'm happy to talk if it's something you've been thinking about and I can be of any assistance. You know, I'm happy. I'm happy to help because, like I've said, like I've had a lot of people in my career help me. So happy to kind of pay it forward a little bit. Thanks for taking the time to help us. Yeah, thanks. Nick. This, is a, this is a blast. Thanks for having me on, man. You bet. It only took you uh, disrupting my lunch at a Chipotle at VMworld. <laughs> Hey, you know what? My I come out of the gate hard with the sales pitch to be on the podcast. So yeah, uh, man, you brought, you were closing. You, once great. you once you tell me your story, I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Yeah, uh, you no, know, it was great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You bet.
I'm sure you noticed the oscillation between individual contributor and manager throughout Jason's career. He says that he enjoyed it, he's happy to do it, but he doesn't feel compelled to do it. In fact, he even said when he took a break, if management was all he wanted to do, that would have limited his options moving forward for what he could do. I feel like this openness to being a manager, if that comes his way or not, and being okay with it, really gives you a larger selection of jobs that you could do, which of course could make it harder to decide, but it does keep your options open. I really like that point. And while we're talking about Jason's time as a manager, when he first started doing that, he had to think about the things that he would want from a manager. He reached out to mentors. He thought about how much he liked regular one-on-ones. That was really important for him to do for his people, for his team. They agreed on a frequency and that's what they would do. It was the employee's agenda. Wait a minute, did you hear that? The one-on-one was the employee's agenda. Are you having one-on-ones with your manager? I hope that you are. And if you are, I hope you get to own the agenda or at least a large portion of it. Jason also demonstrates a theme that we've seen from some other folks like Don Jones. He accepted that attrition was going to happen from his SE team. He said if you're good, after two or three years, you're going to get poached. You're going to move on to somewhere else. And he was happy for those people, but he wasn't blind to the fact that it could and would happen. We talked about marketing yourself like you would market a conference session. You write the abstract, you pick a catchy title, and you're marketing it to a selection committee. This process of getting experience speaking and presenting and writing and really getting your name out there, doing some professional networking, he talks about that as a little bit of a side hustle. But what he's really saying without saying it is that this is relatable experience for going into a role in marketing, if that's really what you want to do. And we talked about technical marketing a lot because it is a common entry point for the highly technical practitioner if they want to jump into the marketing side. It's not the only one, but it might be easier if you're a very technical individual contributor. Jason himself is a solution marketer, so he's talking about messaging of products, how to position them to solve customer problems, the types of customers who would be interested in this, the features and the roadmaps in the product set in question. And he tells us it's not that he's not technical. The focus is just a little bit different. And the marketing artifacts or end result work that someone in this type of role could do, it could be for internal only consumption for other employees to use and learn from. But it could also be public-facing documents for customers of that company that's selling those specific products. Have you ever wanted to take a break from working for a little while? I know that's not a luxury that everyone can actually do. There are certain financial preparation you have to do to, to do something like that. I just want to highlight something that Jason was very focused on during his break. He told himself he wasn't just going to sit and watch TV. He was going to do something with that time. He wanted to use the time. He considered it a blessing. It was not 
something he took for granted. That time was to re-energize him, recharge him, got outside. He saw his family. He did a lot of the things he wanted to do before but just didn't have the energy because he was working all the time and worn out. All the time he had spent building connections with other people returned to him during that time. They sent him job suggestions that eventually became a great opportunity for him that he capitalized on, and that's part of the reason he works where he does now at Pure. And after coming back from this break that was so helpful to Jason, he did something that probably all of us could do better, and that's setting boundaries. And he wasn't just setting the boundaries, he was communicating the intent behind the boundaries. The reason he doesn't take meetings before 8.30 in the morning. The reason behind wanting to take a disconnected vacation. I really like that. I don't think everybody realizes why we want to do things like that or why we have boundaries. But I don't see anything wrong with sharing some of the reasoning behind the boundary itself. It's benefiting you. It's helping your mental health or your physical health or just overall, it's going to boost your performance in the end. It's not you being arrogant or anything like that. And if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to episode 140 with Eric Brooker about the first time Eric took a disconnected vacation and what that was really like for him, who had never been able to do it before. I hope you enjoyed that series of interviews and that it was very helpful to you. And if it did, please share this episode with a friend. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at NerdJourney, and always looking for good guests. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore, flying solo for now, from our buddy John White, at Journeyman. signing off.